Max McCauley was an athlete just like you and me. He loved playing sports, especially football, where he was tearing it up on the field and had scholarship offers to multiple Division I schools to play quarterback. Max thought he was doing what God had destined him to do, but then something happened. Max suffered a traumatic brain injury off the football field that left him unable to play the game that he loved. Today, we sit down with Max to talk about his journey from high school football prospect to not being able to remember how to read or how to write. All throughout his remarkable comeback, though, it was clear in this conversation that he never lost hope in Jesus, our only hope in his life. As Max has battled his way back, he is now a football coach, he's in ministry, and get this, Max is now training for an Ironman. I, I can't even believe that is possible. But Max has an unbelievable story to tell, and for Christian athletes everywhere, his testimony should be an uplifting message of, of hope, of faith, and of perseverance through Jesus Christ. How are we doing, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. My name is Ken Burke, and today I have the pleasure of speaking to Max McCauley. Max, how are you doing today, sir? It's great to have you on. I'm doing well. I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Um, for those tuning in today, I Max, you have such an incredible story, and I, I can't wait for listener, the listeners to hear that. But I first wanted to give a little bit of context um, by asking you about your athletic career um, and how God played a role in your life throughout your athletic career and just the sports that you played? Yeah, for sure. So I, I grew up more so on the East Coast, actually. So I moved, I think it was seven times before I was nine years old. So I'm the, I'm the middle of five kids um, and I was I was homeschooled. So lots of jokes there. We'll, we'll keep those to a minimum right now. Um, but yeah, we, we moved up and down with my dad's work and everything like that. And then we when we moved out to Texas, uh, I, I mean, being in the middle of five kids, especially having a lot of, a lot of brothers. Um, yeah, we were hyper competitive. Uh, we would just run around and be making up all, all, all types of different games and everything like that. So when you move out to Texas and you're a highly competitive young man, uh, you quickly learn that, that football is, is a little bit of a religion, if not a, a high sense of, of, uh, of pride down here. Um, and so, yeah, I quickly fell in love with football. Um, and that just became a huge, a huge part of my life. Um, a couple different sports I played. I went to a smaller school when I actually got to Texas called Coram Deo Academy. Um, and so I got to play football, basketball, run track, uh, really, really do a little bit of everything. I gave baseball a shot for a couple weeks, you know, that, that just didn't, didn't work out so well. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, I think really from a young age, fo- football was the, one of the biggest tools uh, that I had to glorify the Lord. Um, I, I think I kind of had a fake idea growing up in a, in a Southern Baptist type of world in the Bible Belt uh, that the main form of worshiping God is on a Sunday morning through, through song. And I'm, uh, I remember hearing one day that it's, it's essentially taking the gifts that God has given you and redeeming those for his kingdom. Um, and so I realized that one of the one of the primary ways that I could do that is I just happened to be pretty good at football and I worked my butt off. Um, and so I realized I can I can stink and glorify the Lord and make much of the name and fame for 
for Jesus through football. Um, so that was kind of a little bit of my background going into high school before I got recruited or anything. I just, I knew I wanted to play football at the highest level possible uh, for the advancement of the gospel. So yeah, that's a little bit, little bit of the background and everything. So you, you go through, you're going into high school. Talk to me about uh, your relationship with God in high school, in your life and in your athletic career. For sure. So my relationship with the Lord growing up in, in the church and in an amazing godly family, which I'm super thankful for. Both my parents love the Lord. All of my siblings are, are pursuing the Lord. Um, so it honestly just became normative for me um, to to have God as a huge part of my life. And I could I can honestly say that I began pursuing the Lord at a really young age. Uh, I would say eight or nine years old. But obviously continually like being sanctified uh, and becoming more like Christ. Like it wasn't until high school that I think I became radical or, or fully on fire for the Lord. Probably my, my junior year of high school, uh, things started to click a lot more. Um, me and a couple of my buddies, we ran different Bible studies, uh, which are still, still going on, which is really cool to see a, a biblical legacy. Um, but yeah, I remember having conversations with guys in high school, especially, I think that junior year was a, a big turning point. Um, like where a lot of, there were a lot of mature Christians on that football team actually, which is pretty rare, mm-hmm. um, but who were sold out, especially like that core group of juniors and seniors were, were sold out for the Lord. Um, and so that, I think that was one of the most fundamental and, and shaping times of my life within the sports world towards my relationship with the Lord. Um, so yeah, I think, I definitely think that God became a huge part of my life right around that junior year. I mean, that's such a rarity nowadays to have, I guess, a lot of athletes that you're around constantly, like on fire for God, especially in high school. Like there is so much peer pressure and so much uh, drama and gossip that's going on constantly. How did you, I mean, I, I'm thinking of my listeners, listeners and high school listeners right now, how did you stay above those things and like really rely on your teammates to rely on Jesus? Yeah, there there are, few, there are two verses that immediately pop into my mind that I remember like praying over for a long time, and that's First Corinthians fifteen twenty six, which says, "Bad company ruins good morals." You know, it's the old the old saying of "You show me your friends, and I'll show you your future." Um, and I, I was super thankful that there were other guys around me who loved the Lord, but that definitely took intentionality to to seek to seek those guys out. And um, yeah, I just remember having some extremely godly men and, and our head coach loved the Lord and was unashamed about it. And that is obviously huge. Um, he talked so consistently, regardless of consequence, about uh, football as a tool to make you a better future husband and father. Um, it's really cool because that, yeah, my head coach in high school is actually going to be one of the guys standing beside me at my wedding, um, just in the way that he's he shaped me. Um, but then, yeah, the second verse is Galatians 1.10. Uh, which says, am I still seeking to please man or to please God? Because if I was still seeking to please man, I would not be a follower of Christ. Um, so I, I think that when Paul writes writes that to the church in Galatia, like he's he's honestly like just drawing a line in the sand right there of either you're going to be seeking to please the hearts of men or you're going to be seeking to please God. And those two things don't coexist. And, th- and there's a lot of things that don't coexist in the world. Like, I mean, it's an old football phrase, but comfort and growth don't coexist either. And I think like one of the reasons that I love football, is there's so many life parallels and it. And it's this, and I almost think of football as life on steroids. Yeah. And so it's like, you take, you take all of the, the pressures, the anxiety, like you have people watching you. And if you do, if you suck at your job one Friday night, people remember 
And if you do great at it, people praise you. Um, and it's like, okay, well, we see that in corporate America. We see that all, all over the place. And so for a high schooler to be able to experience that, I think is really helpful through a biblical lens because I just remember like consistently thinking of like, okay, this will end one day. Like, what am I going to do with the time that I have now? Because I'm either going to be committed to making much of the name and fame of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stand before him and have my one priority of, of hearing like, well done, my good and faithful servant, or I'm going to be pleasing man. And I have a really hard time seeking to please people that didn't rise again from the dead. You know, it's like, if, if you, if your capacity is the exact same as mine, like if you, if you die and you stay dead on your own, I have a really hard time surrendering my life to you. Um, and so I, I think that was a huge separation just even even throughout high school. Um, and obviously, man, I, I, I struggled with the same things as, as a lot of other high schoolers do, right? It's, it's football became an idol for me along with a lot of other sports. Uh, still pleasing people, that, that was a battle. Um, so obviously not doing it perfect at all. But I think kind of similar to like if you're shooting a bow and arrow, if you get that, that look right when you, when you pull back and you let it go, like even if there's wind and everything, that's still headed downrange in the proper in the proper direction. Um, but if you have that pointed towards pleasing man, you're never going to get pleasing God right. But if you have that aim towards pleasing God, even when other things come and come and go, you still have that pointed in the right direction. So I just remember processing that, and that was that was foundational for me. Yeah. Wow. I mean, kind of speaking in parables right now, kind of like Jesus right now. <laughs> <laughs> questionable at best. But um, so Max, you're going through high school, you're going through the recruiting process and then talk to me about your injury. And I I gave a little bit of glimpse uh, for the listeners in the introduction, but I would really just like to hear about everything that happened, everything that led up to that and just everything that's happened ever since. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, that's a big one. Um, I think to kind of lead up to that, my, my recruiting process, I'm, I'm going to touch on that and how I actually cho- chose ACU, which was, which was really cool. And the Lord had a lot, like he was fundamental in that. So I had gotten recruited by, by the Ivies. And I remember, I think I was up visiting Princeton. Um, and I had a really great ACT score. I was, a uh, I had some really great accolades for sports in high school. Um, and it's just, I mean, those all, those all fade away, but I, I checked a lot of different boxes. Um, just, and so that, that was really cool. So a lot of the Ivies were recruiting me. And I remember within 20 minutes of being on campus by myself at, at Princeton university, uh, and the coach had said, Hey, we want you to stay, stay clean as far as like no drinking, no drugs, um, like uh, stay above reproach in relationships and everything like that. And I remember as soon as the parents left the room, they asked us uh, where we were going. And some of the guys said baseball. So to my my ignorant high school self, I, I've assumed that that was a baseball game and that was the name of the fraternity house. <laughs> so I, I, that was truly a truly an, an ignorant thing. So I get in the car with the guys and we show up. And within five minutes of being there, I got offered sex, drugs, and alcohol. Um, just so... I walked a mile and a mile and a half in the snow back to the hotel of just dad, this is not the spot. Uh, let's go home. Um, and I remember a lot of different people just telling me that I was stupid for that. Uh, because I mean, when you go to a school like Princeton, you have everything taken care of, right? You, you're set for life. You put that on a resume and you get hired pretty much anywhere. Um, and I remember kind of being at my wits end of like, Lord, 
I know you're not calling me there because I don't see people that are like you and and who are desiring to pursue you um, there at all. And especially as a young man, again, you show me your friends, I'll show you your future. Like I'm, I, I don't have the capacity nor the self-discipline to radically pursue you if I don't have men around me that I want to be like. Um, and so I just remember like, man, there's not coaches there. There weren't players there that I wanted to be like when I graduated. Um, and then ACU called me uh, a couple days later. This was a week, two weeks before signing day. So this was, this was, it was coming up and I had a decision to make. Um, and when they offered me, I was, I was thrilled and everything, but I remember the coach that, that recruited me, JB Brown. Um, he said, Max, I care more about you as a, as a man of God than I do as a football player. Um, that was the last thing. He didn't know that I was like really pursuing the Lord like that. So I was like, yeah, I'm taking that as a straight sign from you. <laughs> I, um, and so I visited and, and I committed there. Um, and then my, my best friend, Logan, he was going there as well. Um, and so we got to be roommates and everything. So it was just God, God really aligned, aligned that. Um, but then right, right after I signed with ACU, this was about a week after signing day, uh, same guy. So Logan and I, we were, uh, we rode these, these scooters to school, um, you know, seniors in high school, just, just signed to play football. Everything, everything's going well. We're excited. Uh, there might've been a little pride there. I'm going to, you know, just cards on the table there, you know, having, having fun. Um, but yeah, we're, we're just riding around and then we finish school and we're taking the scooters back to our trucks, like, like a mile or two from campus. Uh, and we decided to go see one of our friends just at the end, at the end of the neighborhood. And then my scooter just shuts off while we're, while we're going. So I, I fly forward off of the scooter and hit my face straight on the concrete. Um, so knocked out so many teeth. It wasn't even funny. Uh, I broke my nose in six places. Um, I woke up, I don't know how long I was out, probably a minute or so. Um, yeah. And had a couple friends there and they called the, they called the ambulance, um, and just, cause I tried to stand up and got super dizzy, um, and really fell over pretty quickly. It was like, yep, call the, call the ambulance. This, this is, this ain't it. <laughs> this is, this is not the move. Um, and so ambulance came, they, they put some teeth back in. Yeah. Cause I remember like roots came out, like it was, it was kind of nasty. Um, but then I wake up in the hospital. Uh, they put me on some medicine cause they thought I broke my neck. So they were prepping me for surgery. Um, and then, yeah, this, this is, this gets pretty rough, honestly. So, um, they thought kind of the worst part of it was in my neck and they found out, okay, I didn't have a broken neck. They thought I had a concussion and broke some teeth. So they sent me home. Well, actually to the, the dentist or the orthodontist or something. And they were working on my teeth and I was under so much medicine. I, I didn't feel anything, you know, <laughs> I was, I was doing all right at that point. Um, but then I woke up the next morning and I had no memory of the day before. Um, and then that happened again and again and again. And I started having absence seizures. Uh, so I would be like staring straight through you and like, you could put your hand in front of my face, everything. And I, I just wouldn't respond at all. Like I didn't even know. Um, and then I would, I would start to fall over. And so it, almost from, from this perspective, it's like, okay, 
everything is just still in the room, but other people are moving around and there's conversations going on, but you, you have no awareness of it. So when you come out of the absence seizures, everybody's in a different spot and conversations have moved. And so it's like, where did everybody go? And so, but because I was still like so often in my head that I would like start to fall over in these absence seizures. And so people would have to come catch me. And as a, as an 18 year old kid, uh, full of testosterone, obviously you, you don't love having your, having your dad or, or your brother come near you. So, you know, you're like pushing them back like, dude, chill out. Um, I wish I was more refined than that, but you know, we're all right. Um, and so, yeah, that was, that was crazy. Uh, so it, it was really similar to the movie 50 first dates where she relived the same day over and over again. Um, and the doctors had told my parents that because I did have internal bleeding inside of my brain, um, they said that if I fell over during one of those seizures, I would, I would die on impact probably and bleed out pretty quickly. Um, and there's no way to explain that to me of why I need to be careful. So I wake up and think I'm okay or just feel a little weird and they're having to explain this. So I get frustrated every time and think, or think that they're just messing with me. Um, and this would, I would have these resets, these seizures, and anytime I had a seizure, I would reset to the morning of the accident. So I would have these up to 10, 20 times a day sometimes. And it just got worse and worse and worse. And the, and the doctors told my parents of essentially like, there's a good chance if he falls, hits his head, he'll, he'll die or he'll be in this state forever. So just prep yourself for a, a kid with, yeah. So my IQ dropped to the level of a two-year-old. So I couldn't read, I couldn't write, I couldn't walk in a straight line. Um, just anything. I got really messed up from that and they couldn't do any types of surgery on me, uh, because of the, the unknown future with my brain. Um, and because my brain was still swollen and, and there were so many, so many overlapping things that really prevented any surgical, um, action to be taken. But one of the coolest things over this time was people really across the country, because we'd moved so many different times and we had a lot of people who, who love us deeply, which I'm, I'm really thankful for. Um, they would just write me note cards, just like with a Bible verse and, and say, Hey, we're praying for you. And to this day, I have thousands of note cards on my wall. Um, and man, I had, I had more people come visit and just lay hands on it and, and pray me and pray over me. Um, that it's like, man, I, I did nothing to deserve like good or bad. It's like, I just remember like all throughout that process of like, okay, I'm a tool to be used for the advancement of the gospel. That's it. Like in Philippians 1.12, it says, brothers, whatever may happen to me, may it serve for the advancement of the gospel. And so like what, whatever may happen, may it serve for the advancement of the gospel. And um, I remember in one of the darkest times, and there's so many stories throughout, like throughout that, um, which is just so cool. and, And I can't say enough about, like God's hand and provision in the time of like, I I think back to like when the Israelites are coming out of, of Egypt and they're, and they're wandering and it's okay, we want to go back, but they're on the, they're on the edge of the Red Sea and it looks like the worst it could possibly be. And in the same way, I think, I mean, I I think God is, you you can't separate uh, the Bible from science or soteriology or, or economics at all. I think they all go hand in hand and just like, when the coldest part of the day is right before the sun rises 
and it's like and it's the darkest part of the night just before the sun rises and I, I think god god has a sense of humor and has some great analogies throughout scripture and and re, and uh and history and i just my parents have told me because i have no memory of this this is all all secondhand information at this point um and so essentially it looked really dark and the doctors had just told my parents of you need to either get used to this reality or you need to put him in a home um, or he'll probably pass away pretty soon. Um, and then a few days later, um, I remember going to a doctor's office that was actually like a little bit more unconventional. Um, it was more of like a neurochiropractor. I'm trying to I hope I'm saying that right. Uh, which sounds, it sounds a little weird and everything, but I just remember they were incredible people of faith. And I remember the receptionist prayed over me. Uh, I say, I remember, I don't remember my parents told me and have pictures of it, of the receptionist praying over me. And the next day I was healed. Like the next morning I woke up and uh, had the ability to build a memory. Um, and that was the start of a really long and rough journey. But, um, cause I, I still have the IQ of a two year old. So I had to rebuild how to read, how to write, um, all of the, all of the things, um, but I just remember being so grateful for the ability to literally build a memory and it not just going away. Cause I knew every time I went to sleep, like every time I would go to sleep, I would never be able to get the memories from that day back again. Um, and, and I say like, I remember that, but I actually, I don't recall that, but I wrote notes in my phone to my future self, which is pretty funny. Um, of like what happened the day before and stuff. And there's some great stories in there too, but yeah, that's a little bit of the story. Uh, and there's a ton of details in there, but, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit of it. Wow. Holy cow. So I, I, I have a thousand questions coming off of that, but I guess I'll start. How far back do you remember anything before your injury? Yeah, I do. So it, with interior grade amnesia, it's literally just the 28 days. So from March 8th to mm. April 5th, I have no memory of Out, outside of that before and after I remember, but that's just like a, a blob of it's gone. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, you remember like glimpses of your childhood. You remember the gospel. You remember like mm-hmm. major things, major life events. Okay. Well, exactly. Yeah. That's insane. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but you mentioned the community and the people that you knew gathering around you and just supporting you. Do you think you would have made it through it if it wasn't for those people? Man, I, I think I think my first reaction is no. Um, mm. Just because I think I think for any young man, um, regardless of of confidence, regardless of ability, um, I think we tend to ask. Oh, where where is it that it says God has placed eternity in the hearts of men? I'll, I'll have to find that one. Um, but but I think every every young man there there's a book called Wild at Heart that I, I love. Um, that it, but one of the things that it says is every young man desires an adventure to go on, um, and that's one of the three things that he talks about. But I remember like coming out of that, I've lost about fifty pounds um, because my teeth were so messed up that I couldn't eat. And also I would like mush up like tortillas and, um, that was really, that was really it. Um, so I just, I lost a ton of weight and I remember like waking up and not like physically recognizing myself. Um, and having, I had so many of my coaches come over, 
oh my gosh, like how many, how many classmates I, I had come over from my school. I can't even tell you. And guys who had graduated the year before come back, like drive back from their colleges to, to hang out with me. I had, this was crazy. I had an old teammate of mine who graduated two years ahead of me. He flew down from Minnesota. Wow. Just to, just to pray over me. Um, and had to fly back up the next day. Like that was just that. Um, and so I, I think that there's a reason that God created the the body of Christ. And so the re the reason that I, I immediately say no, and obviously God is sovereign and, and he can do whatever he wants, whatever he wants. But anytime the hand gets cut off and separated from the rest of the body, you lose blood flow, you lose oxygen and, and you have no capacity to move. Um, and so I, I think being separated from the body of Christ would have not only being physically broken at that time, I don't know that I would have had a lot of places to look. Um, and I think that would have led to an, um, an emotional death um, within myself that, again, the Lord is sovereign, but man, I, I have a hard time being able to confidently say that I would not only be the man that I am today, but have the will or desire or drive to, to push when I came out of that, if it wasn't for those people around me, much less praying over me, uh, because God hears the prayers of the righteous. And I, I believe that he heard the prayers of, of the body of Christ in those times. I can't imagine, like, if you didn't have those people around you, just having positive reinforcement and continuously praying over you, that must have helped your mentality just coming out of it by a hundred percent. Like if you had negative reinforcements, it would have been so much harder. Oh yeah. And like, cause if you have that, if you have negative reinforcement feeding into you, I, I think that immediately is going to shape like why you do what you do, because why you do what you do will always shape the way that you do it. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, if I didn't have this people around me, like challenging me of like, Hey dude, this sucks, but you got to fix your eyes upon the Lord. Like, but if I would have had my eyes towards, okay, I'm just going to prove people wrong in this that's no longer like using the gift of a testimony for the glory of God. That's taking a frustrating situation and actually trying to glorify myself through work ethic. And so I think if I were to selfishly like remove myself from the body of Christ, or if those people were not there, like even if I tried to do quote unquote good things with it, those good things would not have, have had the basis for the advancement of the gospel or the glory of God. And so and those aren't good things anymore at that point. So, yeah, I, no, I totally agree with you. Do you ever ask God why you? Honestly, I can confidently say I, I've never asked that. And mm. and there were there was one big reason actually. And in, in the book of Job, obviously, when he when he went through a way suckier situation than I did, <laughs> right, right, he, <laughs> yeah. he was con he was conscious for all his suck sucking stuff. Um, so like he he was, yeah, he was fully aware of all the all of his situation. But, um, as he, as he asked God, Oh, there we go. As he asked God, um, essentially all the things that are going on and he's crying out to the Lord in his, in his darkest moment, the Lord does something that, that fundamentally shaped the way that I perceive and I understand the sovereignty of the Lord. And that's that God not only like left Job in that situation, uh, but, he actually responds to Job. Um, in Job chapter 38, he cries out, um, and God answers him through a whirlwind. And, and 
he he begins to say like where were you when so where were you when i when i shut the stone door or when i shut the sea in with stone doors where were you uh when i when i told the mountains where to go or does one of my favorite verses is does lightning ask you where it should strike um because if I'm going to be a man of God and I'm going to submit myself to him, like the ultimate freedom that we can possibly have is, is submitting ourselves to a perfect master. Hmm. So how has your recovery shaped the way you view life and, and you view God now? I, I definitely think that one, one fundamental way that like my recovery is viewed the way that I shape God is like God it, I think if you're going to just put it in one word of Emmanuel, God with us, um, because God is not a God where he he leaves us, which I think is like a little bit of, you could argue that it's, that it's circular reasoning a little bit, but I think that that's so counterintuitive and actually contradictory to every other world religion. And so we're, we're in every other religion, you know, it's like, oh, the, the sea was made uh, because this God like body slammed this God or like dropped an RKO elbow or whatever. And that's how you got the moon or whatever. Like, like we, we see, we see Imago day like being made in the image of God through the overflow of love from the Trinity. Um, and so with that, like with the unity of the Trinity, one of the foundational things that we see in the garden is that God walks. I think, I think this was a Matt Chandler quote, of, of God with us, like in the beginning, we see God walking with um, Adam and Eve in, in the garden. And then we see after sin fractured that relationship, that the tabernacle and God with us, we see the temple, God with us, Jesus comes down, God with us. And then one day soon, the sky, or in Pentecost, the, we see God with us. And one day soon, the skies will split open and God with us forever. Um, and so I think I think when you under, when I understood that idea of God is with me, regardless of how I feel that and like my it was it was it sucked for a long time. But like as as I began to recover more and more, it, it almost took it took my life from kind of like this. OK, I'm pursuing the Lord. and I, I really am like all in with the Lord to like this like hyper fixation of of Lord, it's you and only you, like not you and football. It's not you and a girlfriend. It's you and only you. And everything that flows from that is out of the overflow of my relationship with you. And so I I think kind of back to that, like if I'm, if I'm so, I, I, it's such a great analogy. And one of the reasons I love sports is like, if I'm all, if I'm fully committed to being the best football player I can, I'm going to be more shaped by the things that I say no to than the things that I say yes to. So I know if I want to be as fast as I can, okay, that naturally means I'm going to say no to eating cake after dinner. I'm going to say no. I'm going to say no to to drinking sodas because I'm so committed to becoming as fast as I possibly can that I don't have to have this deep debate inside myself of, of yes or no. And I think the same thing became true. And so when I was, this is like, Oof, this this still hurts to, to think about even like I remember there was one time I was sitting underneath of my parents staircase with a kindergarten phonics book relearning how letters sound together um, as an 18 year old who got offered by Princeton that's a little like that's a little humbling um, that's a little beyond humbling that's a 
yeah, I dare say humiliating. <laughs> um, and I just remember the, the shame that I felt with that of like, like I need to just be better. And in that moment of like sitting underneath the staircase, crying my eyes out because I can't understand phonics. I remember the Holy spirit ambushing me. Uh, I love you and I'm here with you. And that's like, I think one of the reasons that understanding who God is in contextualized format in the Bible, it, it prevents us from having a fake idea of who God is and prevents us from being disappointed in God because we know who he is if he, if we contextualize him throughout scripture. And so with that, like understanding that when God died on the cross, God is, God is all knowing, meaning he knew every sin that we were going to commit before he died on the cross, which means he knew exactly what he was buying in the cross. And so if God knew exactly what he was buying in the cross, there's no way that I can Mm. possibly outrun his grace or mercy. And there's no, like when I felt like the biggest failure in society of being like, they're not being able to read underneath my staircase, the Holy Spirit ambushed me. And I just remember feeling you are the least of these right now. Like you are the the one that I died for, not at your best, right? Like Christ didn't get nailed to a tree when I'm throwing a touchdown pass mm. or when I'm getting a great ACT score. Like that, although he died for me then too, it's when I had nothing to contribute to my family or society, when I had nothing to give, Jesus knew exactly what he was buying with me in that. And it's God with us. And like, I remember sitting underneath of the staircase and him wooing me and and, war, and warming me in a way yeah. that I had never felt before out of my total brokenness. Um, yeah. So that was a, that was a rough one, but man, I can, I can honestly say I, if uh, there's a Jonathan Pecluda quote that if dependence is the goal, then weakness is the advantage. And I got to experience that firsthand and man, I'm very thankful. Wow. I, I mean, that's such a good answer. And it, it speaks to what the Holy Spirit can do, even through the darkest of times. Even, I mean, yeah, you summed it up so perfectly. Like, it doesn't matter if you're catching a touchdown pass or learning how to read again. God's there with you every step of the way. And He's the Holy Spirit is within you no matter what you're going through. So now, Throughout the entire journey, you're, you know, in the back half of it, I should say, I would, I would like to say, uh, you are now training for an Ironman. First of all, how in the world did that happen? Second of all, I think a lot of people that had your experience would never participate in any physical activity ever again. (laughs) So why, why train and put your body through this in an Ironman of all things? Yeah. Uh, so uh, me and my my best friend, we actually were training for it together. So we just finished up a swim about an hour ago. So we got out of the pool about twenty minutes before our talk, oh which goodness. is great. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So the reason that I started actually training for this Ironman goes back to the the night before I found out I couldn't play football anymore. Um, I, I dated a girl for a long time, like throughout high school and everything. And I remember like specifically praying to the Lord one night. God, whatever I hold above you. This was January of 2020. So right after I was on the podcast with with Stuart, um, God, whatever I hold above you and whatever I idolize, I ask that you remove it from my life. I I have it written in my journal, which is over there. Um, 
And the next day I was in the ice bath after a off season workout at ACU and the doctor walks in and told me that I had a test that came back that said I was NCAA ineligible because of the traumatic brain injury. I was like, okay, all right, God, God listens to our prayers and I need to be careful with what I pray. <laughs> um, to, to yeah. life lessons, right? Um, and then right after that, um, with no, no real understanding or anything like that, that girl and I ended up breaking up and I just remember being like, Lord, what the heck is going on? Right. Um, and so immediately after, like right after that, this was before COVID even. So this was in about a month or two. I remember Googling hardest human achievements on earth and Iron Man popped up. Um, push myself as hard as I can in football. I'm gonna find that I'm gonna find what it is. And so I found Iron Man and uh, in First Timothy four eight it says, While physical training is of some value, training and godliness is of value in every way. And there throughout my life there has been such a direct correlation between my walk with the Lord and my pursuit of of sports, or more so I say uh, the pursuit of the glory of God through sports. Um, and I'm not able to separate those because I think sometimes like my best quiet time that I get with the Lord is like when I'm pushing it and I'm whether I'm blasting worship music or don't even have headphones in on a long run. Um, I just feel so intimate with the Lord because again, it's dependence is the goal. Weakness is the advantage. And I, there are a few times that I feel weaker than when I'm training for an Ironman. When my, when my body is, is broken down and I realize like, Holy cow, God, I, I feel my hamstring in a way I haven't before. Like you created this, you know? <laughs> like, um, which, which is so funny, but it, it's, I think the, the Lord has wooed me in so much through physical weakness and like every time that I push a little bit farther, like I feel, I feel God even more so. And then I think the other thing is that's been one of the most effective ways that I've been able to evangelize. So I say this not, I say this out of no credit to myself, but a hundred percent as the, the advanced gospel. And I believe that the Lord hears our prayers and that the Holy, when you, when the Holy Spirit and the Bible collide, like the word of God and the Holy Spirit collide is where you find Jesus. And I, I remember when like I was actively asking the Lord, like, I want to advance the gospel and where. So in, in the place I live, um, it's called Denton County. I live in Flower Mound, Texas, within a 12.2 mile radius of uh, of where I live. There are 80,000 people who are un, unaffiliated with any religious organization. Um, that's not just Christianity. Um but that's any religious affiliation. And so I was going to say, okay, if every other person in the county happens to be a Christian, which they're not, but I'm just going to go off of the 80,000. That means if I'm alive for 80 years total, I need to have a thousand gospel conversations every year, which equivalates to two to three conversations a day. Um, and so th this year, which has been awesome, but one of the most effective evangelism tools that I've had has been through absolutely pushing my body crazy hard through Ironman training because it's a really cool community. Like it's a it's a tight knit community. People want to help you out. People like are there for you and everything. And I, and I love it. And you it's definitely not like you don't have to be a Christian to experience happiness, but you do have to be a Christian to experience the full level of joy. And so being able to experience doing an Ironman or doing the, those things in life of pushing myself with a different level of joy because like if I, if I were to um, enjoy a cup of coffee as a non-Christian, I can, I can still enjoy that. 
right? I can, I can look at a sunset and be like, wow, that's pretty. But knowing that my creator wired me to feel that on my taste buds and it's warm and comforting and he created those beans and wherever. And all of this, like he, pre, he designed and predestined to be in that moment at that time, that brings a different level of joy and satisfaction in that moment. And so within training for the Ironman, I found the more I discipline myself, because one of the things I'm doing right now is I'm actually in the process of memorizing the book of Philippians, which is so super cool, especially like coming back from a traumatic brain injury, like with such a low IQ at that time of like trying to memorize an entire book of the Bible of I've recited that more times when I'm on my bike or in the pool or when I'm running or when I'm lifting weights than any other time in my day, because I'm like, Oh my God, like, yes, Lord, for the advancement of the gospel or like Paul and Timothy, you know, it's like, um, so yeah, that, that's been a really cool thing. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of how I got started on the Ironman. Um, but oh my gosh, the Lord has used that in such a way that I, I can't, I can take no credit. Like I've done anything or worked for it. Like that has been everything that I have. The Lord has given me and it's my job to redeem it for the kingdom. I mean, it's such a great perspective. And I think it just speaks on the faith that you have, even, you know, through the injury, through the trials that you faced, you still want to do physical activities and you want to push your body as far as it can go. It's just amazing to see. But Max, as we do start to wrap up today, I, I had one last question for you. For all the listeners out there, for everybody tuning in and through all your rehab, physical therapy, and trials in your life, what do you want people listening to know about your journey? I think, I think number one is it's all about him. So in, in John chapter 4, when Jesus encounters the woman at the well, um, you know, he tells her everything that she had ever done, and she goes running back into into the city of Samaria and is like, I like this is Jesus, and he told me everything that I ever did, and it was the testimony of the broken woman that brought other people to Christ. Um, and so I, I think I want, I desire to have a very similar perspective of like this is this is a story, right? This is God's story. That that is not my story. And if anything, like this is my family story and this is like my people, the people around me. And, and like, this is my fiance's story. It, it's my friends and everything. Like all of the, all of the people involved, like play a role in this and it's all for the advancement of the gospel. And so through, through some hell and high water, through some thick and thin of, and it looked like I was going to, I wasn't going to be living much longer. Um, a story is just a story until you submit it to the Lord. And then it's testimony for the advancement of the gospel. And I think everybody, everybody wants to have a testimony. I don't think many people have, many people want to live it. Um, and I don't think, and I don't think many people rely on their community to carry them through and trust in the Lord when it gets hard. Um, it's, it's in a similar way of like, man, when you, when you squeeze something, you find out what's inside and, the Lord, like, this is more of a blessing than anything. Like I got squeezed up really hard at a young age and man, I, I know like I can stand in front of anybody in the world, whether my life is on the line and in Iraq or something to, to profess the name of Jesus Christ. Like I will confidently say Jesus Christ is my Lord and savior and whatever it may be, it will serve for the advancement of the gospel because Jesus is called a shot. He's coming back and every knee will, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. So it's not, it's not whether this is going to happen. The only question is like, as a student, 
in, in high school, whether like no matter how old you are, whoever's listening to this, the only question is, do you want to be a part of the joy of joining in the in the journey of this? Like, because this will come to fruition. It doesn't take a crazy testimony. Mm-hmm. I think it takes faithfulness. Um, so yeah, I think I think that's what I would tell to, to anybody. And then, uh, man, run with reckless abandon towards the Lord. That's the only thing worthwhile. Yeah. Wow. That's that's amazing, Max. Your story is so incredible, and it just speaks on how God is faithful and how God endures through everything. Um, but I, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. It, it was an awesome, awesome conversation and great to talk with you. Man, thank you so much for having me on. And it, it was a huge blessing. So thank you for the invite again. I sure appreciate it and uh, love love listening to them. Well, thank you. For all the listeners out there, please share this episode and subscribe to the show. Uh, it means more to us than you know. But if you don't get anything else from this, just remember this. Jesus loves you and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.